Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. If you're a single person going through breast cancer treatment, dating is probably the last thing on your mind especially if you're adjusting to any changes in your body after surgery or experiencing unpleasant side effects like nausea or diarrhea. Still, once you finish your main treatments, dating might seem more possible, but still make you feel nervous, excited, curious, or even terrified. You may wonder if your prospective date will think you're attractive. You may worry that your wig will come off if someone tries to run their fingers through your hair. You're probably wondering when is the right time to tell someone you've just met about your diagnosis and ways that your body may have changed. To offer some real-world insights, the BreastCancer.org podcast asked four people from across the United States, three women and one man, about their diagnoses and how they approach dating after breast cancer. Their stories, while far from typical dating tales, do seem to indicate that there's hope, fun, and some wonderful, empathetic people out there. First, meet Sean, a nurse who lives in Kentucky and has gone through two breast cancer diagnoses. After her first diagnosis, the man she was dating dumped her. My name is Sean. I am 54 years old. I was 43 when I was first diagnosed. It was right after my 43rd birthday, and I had triple negative breast cancer. I chose to get a lumpectomy and do chemo and radiation, lost all my hair. And then I was diagnosed again with a local recurrence in 2013, and I had bilateral mastectomy with a deep flap and chemo again, and again lost my hair. So here I am, 11 years later, and doing doing fine. When I was diagnosed the first time, I had been divorced for two years, and I had been dating a guy for about a year. And we had fun together, but... Uh, He promptly dumped me about three days later after my diagnosis, and I remember thinking, that is so rude. It wasn't that I was upset that he dumped me so much, because I don't think that I was in love with him, but it was the rudest thing I could imagine, and in hindsight, he probably did the biggest favor of my life, because had he stayed with me during treatment, I would have felt obligated to stay with him, and it turned out that was quite a gift when he dumped me. Second diagnosis, I had I had married someone. He stood by my side and he gutted it out, even though he was not comfortable with all of the things that were happening to my body and to me. And uh, he is a wonderful man. And I met him while I was doing chemo the first time. And it's a very unlikely story. And I have to tell you, um, I do believe that God helped me through that. And he made those things happen because when I was first diagnosed and, I got, and my boyfriend dumped me, I was, a, I was a mess like most people. I was scared. All I could think about was cancer. It took me about two months to get my head under control and just pray and give it over to God. And, and I got a strong message that I was, hey, say yes to everything. Say yes to all the fun. Say yes to any enjoyment you can get. Um, I'm a very social person, and breast cancer initially took some of that away because I, I was sick with the chemo very fortunate to have been surrounded by friends, girlfriends, and family, and people that love me, that helped me through things, and I didn't have to rely on, um, it would have been a terrible time to look for a relationship, 
but it was a wonderful time to look for entertainment to keep me distracted from cancer treatment. Suzette Brown is a stand-up comedian who lives in New York City. During chemotherapy, Suzette wore a Wonder Woman costume and broadcast online comedy routines from her chemo chair, despite frowns from the nurses when she adjusted her ring light and set off the infusion alarm because she moved her arms. Suzette wasn't dating anyone when she was diagnosed, but she was actively looking. She wasn't comfortable sharing her age, but wanted us to know that she's looking for a man between the ages of 45 and 55. My name is Suzette Brown. I live in New York City, and I have stage 1B, stage 2, ER positive, HER2 cancer. Um, You you know, a doctor told me when I was diagnosed with cancer that um, that I actually have an old white lady's cancer. And I was like, what does that mean? I mean, like, does it mean that it's non-aggressive, curable, and I'll look great in turquoise? Like, what does that mean? I decided to do a bilateral mastectomy because my mom actually had breast cancer, and she died 30 years ago. And even though there is no genetic connection between our cancers, supposedly, I mean, it's still too early to tell. I mean, like, there's not enough testing that's still been done on all the genes, so you never know. But um, but I got cancer on the same age as her. And so um, so because of her breast cancer, I decided to just do a bilateral. Um, I only had cancer in the right breast. And, um, and they found I had lymph nodes removed. And out of 10 lymph nodes, they found that I had cancer in two. So, um, so yes, I did a bilateral. I've gone through six rounds of chemo. I lucked out. They wanted to give me four and they were like, you're doing so well. We will give you two more. And I was like, yo, hooray, hooray, hooray. And so um, I am undergoing radiation, which is uh, a whole other thing. I mean, I'm I'm actually more afraid of radiation than than, uh, chemo because of the, the side effects of like what it does to the skin. I actually signed up for a trial, proton therapy versus photon therapy, because there are so few black people in clinical trials. Like it's like 6.9% according to the National Institute of um, Health. So I decided to sign up for that. So um, so I didn't get the proton. I got the photon therapy. So I'm doing that right now. So yes, I, I, so it's like a job. It's like five days a week I go. And, um, you know, but it's very quick. It's like five minutes or whatever they play. My theme song is Bruno Mars. It is 24 karat gold. So radiation lasts about like two to three like repetitions of the song. And then I'm out. So I think by the time it's done, people on that floor will be so tired of that song. I'm sorry, Bruno Mars, but, you know, because that is now my song, you know, because it's show, it goes, it's showtime, it's showtime. <laughs> it is, it is showtime. I'm here for my radiation treatment. It is showtime. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's my background. I was adamant about trying to find doctors that um, had patients of color. And so, or I felt comfortable with. So I, you know, I went to like three, four, I think five plastic surgeons or something like that, like five hospitals or whatever. So like half of New York saw my boobs, right? And with half of New York see my boobs, right? It's like, it like, it makes you like, like very, like it's kind of erotic. I went through this whole thing and I got like these beautiful boobs and I, you know, I've named them Venus and Serena because they're chance. I was black and single before I got cancer. So, um, so I wasn't dating anyone. It's hard as a black person anyway to get, I mean, like studies have shown that we are the last people picked. So so, and then I, I also, I came from a background of television. So a lot of the people that I met were gay, a lot of, a lot of the men. So it's like, there was no dating prospects there. And then, and now that I have breast cancer, you know, you know, I won't be meeting a lot of men in chemo. I mean, like, it's just didn't, like, I tried, but it's like, you know, they don't have the throat cancer chemo next to the breast cancer chemo. Like it's just completely separated. The lung cancer chemo, like you're not meeting men, but the struggle is really like, I was actively trying to find somebody who says cancer has to stop you from looking right. 
but now that I have cancer, I mean, like, I feel even more invigorated because I've got great boobs. A native of Philadelphia, Janae was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 20s. Her diagnosis made her nervous about dating, but she eventually warmed up to the idea of meeting someone. My name is Janae. I am a 32-year-old Philadelphian. I'm a young breast cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in 2015, and I'm four and a half years out of my initial diagnosis. I was single. Uh, I was warming up to the idea of of dating right before being diagnosed. And I think that I got a little discouraged (laughs) from dating right after being diagnosed because I felt, oh man, this is going to make things like 20 times harder now. So so no, I I wasn't dating. um, And I got a little nervous about dating right after being diagnosed as well. I I, uh, began warming up to dating when I realized that even though my cancer diagnosis was life-changing, it didn't mean that life was going to end uh, and life would still continue on despite the diagnosis. Uh, So I got inspired um, just by you know, talking to friends and family and getting encouragement and realize, you know what, I could still go out there. Maybe a a new, maybe this new person that's going to come into my life will be very understanding of, of my situation and my scenario. So yeah, I had the jitters at first, but I think with encouragement um, and just stepping out there, it can happen. Initially, right after treatment, um, I was really obsessed with getting back to normal. (laughs) So, uh, you know, getting a job, um, you know, I had to stop employment, uh, you know, to be able to go through treatment. So getting, getting a job, working again, saving up money to move out. You know, I was 27 at the time. So, you know, I I had had money saved, uh, but I had to use that to kind of live off of in the meantime, you know, during, during treatment. So saving money back again, being a young millennial, being able to, you know, to just network and, and meet people. So I think that it was immediate. It was something that was on my checklist, if you will. Uh, so I jumped right back to it. Um, I didn't go on any apps. Um, most of the millennials my age go on like Tinder or Bumble. I did try to go on one and it was a really bad experience. So I, didn't, I stopped and I just began to, um, you know, go out to public places. Of course, this was pre-COVID. Officially diagnosed at 24, Brett Miller of Kansas City didn't know that men could develop breast cancer when he found a lump in his breast when he was 17 years old. Brett describes himself as an open book when it comes to his diagnosis, and his openness helped him filter out potential romantic partners who would be put off by his experience with breast cancer. My name is Brett Miller. I am the co-founder of the Male Breast Cancer Coalition and founder of the Brett Miller 1T Foundation. Uh, Both are, are... Goals for both and, and missions for both of those uh, groups are to build the awareness for men uh, throughout the world that men can get breast cancer too. We're a support system for all 
Um, if anybody needs help, guidance, just has questions that, of what they're getting ready to endure, we're there. We have men from all over the world, all different stories, all different journeys throughout the way that we can always connect somebody to another person. Um, I was 24 when I was officially diagnosed. I was 17 when I first saw my lump. Um, I went seven years with no diagnosis, no correct diagnosis, um, I, I should say. Um, when I first found the lump when I was 17, I, it was senior year of high school. And I went to the doctor, I went to two different doctors, one at the beginning of the se uh, football season, uh, beginning of senior year, and then one at the end of the, uh, the senior year to get, you know, just physical for football, shots for college. And, you know, brought up the lump that I had just randomly stumbled across just watching TV one day, just kind of did a lean back, like stretch across and then felt the slump. And uh, both doctors not exactly saying the same thing, but close to it, that it was a calcium buildup. It would dissipate and go away. Nothing to worry about. The reason why it took so long was I didn't have health insurance, you know, all throughout college and, you know, it, tail end of high school and then all, all throughout college. And then a few years out of college, I, you know, I've been working at a country club and I did have health insurance, but I didn't have any, I wasn't like sick, sick, I, you know, minus the common cold or, you know, may, you know, hurt myself at, you know, lifting weights or at work or something like that. There wasn't anything like pressing that I thought that, you know, I needed to go to the doctor, but, you know, finally, you know, parents urging me asking if I had, if I still had that lump that they knew about, because you know they were at the doctor's office and, and and knew about it, and I said, yeah. My parents were like, well, you've got you've had health insurance for a while. You would be you you should go get a physical. And it was the last time I was like hmm, high school. It's it's been quite some time. So uh, at the urging of you know my parents is when I went to the doctors to get the physical, get it all checked out, and the doctor was pretty much out the door. Like I had to stop him. Cause it was like, yeah, if you have anything else for me, just let me know and stuff like as he was like leaving. And I was like, well, I've had this lump under my nipple, you know, mind you doctors, you know, won't perform a breast exam on a male unless they know you have a family history. They just won't do it because of the small percentages. And even after being diagnosed, I asked the doctor that, you know, help get me diagnosed if he would consider adding it into physicals. And he basically just told me, that, you know, based on statistics, it's just not worth their time to, take that extra 30 seconds to a minute to do a breast exam on males, um, which is a little frustrating. I mean, we're making some headway, but it still takes some time. Yeah. So at 24, got sent to go get a sonogram and a mammogram, not knowing that I was doing a mammogram that day, all in the women's clinic, walked in, I was greeted by name, never been there before. <laughs> Apparently the only male on their docket for the day. Um, but the, the, I had to do a mammogram. The doctor that was there just said that it would save time, so I didn't have to come back in, take more time off work, get a, you know, do do this and that. Um, I think that she, I think that she knew, but not one, not once, ever it, until I was, I, I actually received the call from the surgeon that removed the lump, was breast cancer thrown out there? Not once did any doctor along the way say breast cancer. So I didn't think, you know, I just assumed there was this calcium buildup. Even when I met with the surgeon, he was like, yeah, based on the time that you said you've had it and, you know, based on what these scans look like, it does look like a calcium buildup. So, but as long as you've had it and stuff and it hasn't gone away, I just prefer to take it out. And, and that was that. I got the call the day after from the surgeon 
didn't ask me, you know, say like, hey, we've got to discuss, you know, the pathology reports, which I also don't remember that they, it was going to be sent off to pathology. I guess it was made after the decision, after the surgery, they, you know, they got it out. And I think I was still on medicine coming out of, you know, coming out of it. So they might have said it and I just don't remember. I know my parents knew. But he goes, uh, the preliminary pathology reports are, are in and uh, it's it's breast cancer. I haven't fully read the report, but I'll read it and get back to you in about three to five days. And that was it. Like, there was no, like, give me questions. You know, it was just straightforward. I hung up the phone, you know, and that was it. I thought it was a joke at first, you know. I was in my car, like I wasn't driving anywhere, but, you know, I, I, I sat there for a little bit and all I could think was, well, you know, the lump's gone, you know, there, there, you know, there can't be a whole lot more that I have to do. Like I was just trying to get my head in the mindset rather than going down a dark hole and then going web and D and, and just, you know, and, and finding all the, the bad answers. Um, I just tried to stay as positive as I, as I could. Um, I called and told my dad and I was like, Hey, I'm heading down to, you know, job number two. I, you know, it's going to be busy down there. I, you know, won't have time to, you know, discuss everything, but I let him know. And he, you know, I was like, I was like, please don't tell mom because she's going to call and ask a thousand questions. I don't have any answers right now. I'm still in a little bit of shock, but, you know, we can discuss it tonight, you know, to get home and we can, you know, go from there. I think five minutes passed and my mom called. <laughs> so she calls and she asks all these questions. And I was like, I, I don't know. He just said that, you know, he, he just barely, you know, skimmed through it and just wanted to tell me what it is, but he'll get back to this in three to five days. Needless to say, it was probably a better thing that she found out in enough time because we were in the office the next day meeting with that doctor mm-hmm. to get his a full opinion on everything. And he was straight up full on double mastectomy. There's no way around it. It's going to be this. It's got to be that. And I was just like, well, how many of the surgeries you performed? And he was like, uh, you'd be the first one on a mail. And I was like, hmm. I was like, thank you. Thank you for your time. But I think I'm going to get a you know, second opinion. Um, we got to set up with another doctor. He was the same way. He said a double mastectomy, but we could do the mastectomy on the right side and then come back and do the one on the left side, because that's just at the time, that's what the procedure was for a male. Luckily the morning of the mastectomy surgery, he got a call from his friends at John Hopkins and Andy Anderson. And they said, do not treat men just like women only do the single mastectomy, and then, you know, revisit after some treatments and, and, and so on. So I had a single mastectomy. Um, the Oncotype DX test uh, said that I would benefit from having chemotherapy. Four rounds of chemotherapy, it could drop my chances by 10%. I had a 22% chance over the 10-year period of cancer coming back. And I was like, if I can drop this as low as I can, that's what I'm going to do. So mm-hmm. I have to do the four rounds of chemo. Um, very little side effects. Lost my hair. It's more body aches. It was never nauseated. And the body aches is only really because I forgot to take the steroid pill on like the second or third treatment or something. I just totally slipped my mind. Chemo brain. And I, you know, I took the, took them like shortly after and it started kind of helping out and stuff. But I tell everybody I got extremely lucky um, throughout the whole thing. And I know not others aren't, you know, barely being, barely being diagnosed with stage one. And, you know, only a couple of rounds of chemo and not having much side effects. Doctors, they were like, well, you know, it, it, can be an age thing. It can be your body. You know, it's just everybody reacts to it differently. Um, I did do five years of Arimidex. I was started on tamoxifen um, within the first month or so. I had so many side effects that I was just like, I need off of this. 
Um, so they, you know, they pulled me off of it and started me on the Rimidex. And honestly, I didn't really have very many side effects from it. So it was good. I know that everybody always asks and everybody's like, I don't know if, if it's too, if it's too personal and stuff, I will talk about it. If somebody asks, I, it's better than my mom just blurting it out. It was brought up about fertility and going through chemo into such a young age, they don't know what was going to happen. So yes, I did bank some sperm. Um, luckily I did not have to ever use it. I do have a baby girl. She is 20 months old now. Suzette, the New York comedian, isn't dating anyone now, but she uses dating apps. And in her words, she's trying. She also felt she should have practiced telling potential dates about her diagnosis. Am I dating anyone now? Well, I mean, I just say, well, COVID, I mean, COVID is really, really hard, but, um, but breast cancer is hard. No, I'm not dating. I'm trying. I, am I dating anyone now? I'm trying to date people. I guess part of what prompted me to like sort of take on this dating crusade is I just got like kind of ghosted by this guy who had cancer. And I was like, and the thing is like, I know ghosted takes on a whole new meaning when you got cancer, right? It's like, it's like kind of like, Ooh, somebody's like, what's going on? But, but um, no, I mean, I'm on the apps. And so, and I was really excited when this guy told me he had spinal cancer, but I think I got so excited that I didn't know, I didn't tell him. I I couldn't relate in that way. I couldn't be honest. In the, like I just was, it was out of left field. So I was asking a lot of questions about like, what are you doing with your health? And, you know, have you changed your food eating? And then he turned out that his mom had breast cancer too. And I was like, score. I like, I got a guy who I who will know and understand cancer, but it's just, I was too, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just came off too weird and he just, he unattached for me, like not soon after like one or like two texts in a conversation. So I'm trying to date. I'm trying my best. I was really shocked when that guy told me that he had cancer. I was like, I was so, so shocked. Um, and, and I didn't, I wasn't ready for it. But the thing is like, like I should have, I should have, I think when it comes to dating and stuff like that, that, there is a sort of way that you need to practice and stuff like that. And I should have, I should have practiced because I actually did end up, COVID has been sort of a boon in some ways. Like, like I never used to get dates. I mean, like I, I never like got farther than a text, a couple of texts or whatever, but I actually got a guy to ask me out during COVID, I guess people are just so desperate to go out for any reason. So like, okay, so I'll stop the text and I'll like ask her out. But when I went to meet him, he was older than his photos and I, and I, and I, and the energy was different. And I guess he knew, I mean, we both knew it wasn't going to be a match, but he was, you know, we still had the date. And the thing is like, before the date, I was really, really concerned because um, it was after my second chemo. And you know how they say after 16 days after your chemo, your hair falls out. Mm-hmm. So it was like day 11, day 12, day 13 or something like that. And I was like so afraid that I'd go on the date and that my hair would fall into his drink. But the whole idea is I think the uh, telling, I should have just used him for practice. That's the whole idea. Is like if I knew it wasn't going to work, I should have been like, yeah, I have cancer, I have polio, I have measles, I have rickets, I have Ebola. I should just like gone for it. You know what I mean? Because it's like you get your mouth practicing, like what to say and how to say and how people react. So, I mean, I should have just like, you know, I should have just like not been so blase. I, I should have like used that as an attempt to like to practice because I think it might have been better with this guy that I met that might have been great because he, you know, he had spinal cancer, his mom had breast cancer. I mean, I'm sure, like, I mean, I'm sure you can understand it. But the thing is like, does someone who has cancer, who had cancer, really want to date somebody else with cancer? Because everyone's cancer's journey is different. 
Janae told us a little bit more about her bad dating app experience. She also explained why she didn't put anything about breast cancer in her profile and how being diagnosed changed what she was looking for in a person to date. It was Tinder. Um, and the gentleman that I met through Tinder, oh man, his profile is so interesting. These apps allow you to curate who you are, what, what you want to show. So everything about this person was amazing. You know, he was a music historian and he had a podcast show and he um, was well-read. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, our conversations are going to be great. These These are things I'm interested in too. So I decided to meet him at a local bar in Center City and, you know, just, you know, go in the daytime. There were people around, make it really quick, maybe 30 to 45 minutes and see where it would go from there. Uh, and upon meeting him, he was socially awkward. Uh, and, you know, it was just so interesting. Um, it was just so different from what I imagined. <laughs> So different. So I wound up cutting the date really short, like maybe 15 minutes in and I decided not to continue on. So I was very disappointed <laughs> initially. I think I, I had heard so many stories about, about, about people meeting nice folks through, um, you know, dating apps. And I thought, oh, my first try, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail it, you know, um, But it it can be a little discouraging. So after then, I I started to retreat just a little bit. As far as letting someone know if you've, or letting the apps know, putting, put on your profile if you've been diagnosed or not. I, I chose not to put that on my profile for the short time that I had it on, had had it up. Uh, I chose not to. And you know, I think that it really depends on the rapport that you build with the person that you that you're meeting. You know, for some people, when they hear the word cancer, they get afraid and they freeze. You know, and they think the worst. Um, and I, I I think that finding someone who sees you as a human first can be really hard, but it's very possible. Um, there's no wrong or right time. Actually, I think you should use your intuition. Most women, pardon me, most patients will know, you know, to say when to say, when to share. And and if it's the right person, they will make you feel comfortable enough to say, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something and I just want to let you know, um, you know, I, 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 I'm a cancer patient or I had cancer. I did wind up saying that to two dates. And one gentleman, it was this just the sweetest response. He actually shed a tear. And then that made me shed a tear too. Very sweet person. And um, you know, we're we're no longer dating, but we've been in we're in touch and we're friends and and that that is what I look for. That lets me know that there are genuine people who are who are sensitive and open to to learning more or sensitive to just knowing and yeah, I think the key word is sensitive. Some people are, they'll be like, well, you don't look sick, really? Or you're going through chemo or, you know, it's, it's, yeah, some people are just, they, they don't know. I usually, I was just like, I think before what I did do was show them like my port scar <laughs> and, and the uh, gentleman who shed a tear 
he made a really funny joke. He says, wow, you can, you can tell people you had your, you got street cred. That's your scar from like, you know, street cred. Like you were, you know, you fought. I thought it was really funny. (laughs) Nothing like my personality at all. (laughs) But uh, he was able to make light of, of something that was a bit heavy to talk about. And I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. It made it easier for me to talk about it with people as well. I would say that uh, the type of person that I looked, that I was thinking about as a potential date did change. I now, um, as I did right after being diagnosed, seek out someone that's a bit more mature. And currently I'm, I'm, I'm 32, but I do, I do find that older uh, people who are a bit older, maybe two or three or four years older than me, are better understanding my situation, perhaps because life has just, you know, happened to them, whatever it might be, cancer, a parent getting cancer, um, someone passing or added responsibilities. And I'll let, I'll say for sure the other two, the two gentlemen that I did uh, date, they were older than me and they were just more understanding. So definitely maturity and understanding um, are, are what I look for now. I think when I was younger, before being diagnosed at 27, I was just more, a little bit more carefree and not, not as discerning, but as, you know, as life happens, you become more discerning and you, and you, you're very selective about what you let into your life and cancer, um, it sort of added to that. You kind of grew out of your party girl moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even, would I say I was a party girl? My friends would always have to drag me out of the dorm to go to a party. <laughs> I was, I was too busy writing my thesis or too busy reading or looking at a documentary, but yeah, I, I do think, uh, I think, I think COVID, we want to party again, uh, and <laughs> and yeah, and and probably my cancer diagnosis makes me want to party again too. <laughs> it comes in waves. Of the four people we talked to, Sean had the best dating app experience. After the first chemo, one of my friends said, "You know, you you seem bored. You're not able to get out as much. I think we need to get you on a dating site." And I laughed and I said, "Oh yeah, because." bald, nauseous women are in, in such high demand on dating sites. <laughs> I had no plans for a relationship. I did think it might be entertaining to distract myself with something besides cancer, cancer every day, because I was real sick of that. And uh, we made up my profile, and it was a far-out profile that said I was into Gregorian monk chanting and all of this bizarre stuff that I knew someone that answered it would either be able to be funny or they would just think I was crazy. So surprisingly, we got, I got an enormous amount of responses <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we would sit on the couch, my girlfriends and I, and read them and just laugh. They were so entertaining. Um, and then I got a response from a gentleman who, who was, he was cute and he seemed very he was articulate and, I said, okay, I'll meet you for a drink. So I went, this was, I only did a drink on my non-chemo weeks, which is not healthy and probably not good for you, but, but I did. So we met at a, a bar and we had a drink and I liked him. So he asked me out. We went on the first date and I liked him. And we went on the second date and he kissed me goodnight. 
And that's when it, it hit me. Oh, my gosh, you're going to have to tell him because if he tries to run his fingers through your hair. <laughs> so I was sitting in the basement with my best friend, and we're trying to figure out how to tell him. And her fish guy's there cleaning the fish tank. And he must have overheard our conversation because he popped up just deadpan. Third date. Tell him on the third date. We're going to tell him on the third date. <sighs> so the third date came around and I told Pat I would meet him there. I'd drive my own car because I didn't know how well this was going to turn out after I told him. So I wanted to have my own car to go home in. And we're, we're having dinner having a great time it's the week before derby and in louisville kentucky derby is it's it's bigger than christmas here so we're um having dinner and i said oh next friday is oaks day and they have a survivor's parade for women who survived breast cancer and i'm going to be walking in that parade because i had breast cancer and i'm finishing up chemo and i'm bald (laughs) i put it all out there and just because I didn't, I was so nervous. I didn't know how else to get it out there. It came out in a in a big blurb. And he, the first thing he did was to look at my hairline. And then he he finished his fork full. And he goes, okay. So he didn't make it a big deal. And um, we continued to date. And then in June, his project ended. He was up. He was in Louisville doing project work. And in June, his project ended, and it was time for him to leave and go back to his home in Alabama. And I said, oh, well, it was really great spending time with you. And I never thought I'd see him again. And fortunately, I was surrounded by women and my family who supported me. And they loved me. And they loved me so well that I did, he, it didn't crush my world that he wasn't going to be there. I also had made a commitment to myself after cancer to be genuine and to not do the things in, my, in the past. I think a lot of women, we do this as women. We acclimate to the person we're dating or we, you know, we make small changes to make them comfortable. And I just wasn't willing to do that anymore um, because life was too short. So I said goodbye to him. I started dating a a friend that I'd known previously to having cancer. And he, he asked me out and we started dating and he asked me to marry him one night in July. And I was like, no, he's a really nice guy, but I, he wasn't the right guy for me and I knew it and I I told him no and then I get a phone call the next week and it's Pat from Alabama and he said hey why don't you come down here and watch a football game with me and my friends and I said oh my hair is about an inch short right now and it's hot and I'm not putting that wig back on (laughs) so he said well that's okay and I said no I said here I took a picture I'm in my car and I took a picture. I said, full disclosure, you need to see what you're getting into. And so I sent him the picture and he goes, that's fine. I would like for you to come. So I went down there and met a bunch of his friends and, and we had a great weekend. And uh, we had a wonderful weekend. And then it was about two more months after that. And he decided he was going to move to Kentucky because his job would allow, he he would fly a lot for his job and it would, as long as there's an airport in the city, he could do that. So he moved to Kentucky. And then it was just a, a crazy love story. It was wonderful. And we waited a year after that to get married because we wanted to make sure we weren't crazy and we weren't just doing something impulsive. And uh, we got married a year after that October in 2011, I think. And then 2013 is when I had the recurrence. And uh, 
Yeah, I just I married my best friend, and I I would have never met him if it weren't for breast cancer because I would have never had the courage to really be myself and then meet someone that that really fit me instead of me trying to fit them, if that makes sense. Brad was dating someone when he was diagnosed, but it didn't work out, though they're still friends. Since men having breast cancer is so rare, Brett's story was in all his local media, so he didn't really have to tell potential dates about his situation. The story was everywhere. I was dating somebody at the time of diagnosis. You know, I wasn't going to hold anything back, so I told her everything that was going on and like what was going to you know come about. Um, she was there the morning of my surgery. And, you know, eventually we, you know, a couple months later and stuff, we just mutually just, you know, parted ways. We're still friend, good friends to this day, but it just, it, she had a bunch going on. I had a bunch going on and just, you know, the time wasn't there. So it was, and it didn't end on bad terms, but I just, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, we thought it wasn't going to work out. So, you know, we just went our separate ways, but like I said, we're good friends today. When it came to, you know, dating somebody and then telling them if I had breast cancer or not. Um, I can see where for a lot of women, it's personable, you know, getting diagnosed with breast cancer almost always means that you are losing a breast or both breasts. And for women, you know, and, and society and stuff, that's like, that's, you know, how a woman is like defined as breast. And, it, and it's sad that that's the way it is. I understand how personal it is. And it's a very sensitive subject for a lot of women. So I totally get that. And everybody, you know, everybody approaches this different. I would be an open book. I told, you know, anybody straight up, I wasn't really looking to date anybody at the time, partially because of, you know, going through treatments and, you know, not wanting to be, you know, uh, expose myself to any diseases or anything while I was, uh, while my blood counts and everything were low, you know, going through the chemo treatments, you know, and I worked in the service industry and so, you know, bartending and then at the country club that I met. So a lot of my time was taken up by work. And if I, you know, was free, it was normally on like a weekday night, which is not the prime time to try to meet anybody, but, you know, working in the service industry and the bars, we have such a, you know, close knit family down there that typically if you meet somebody, it's going to, you're going to meet somebody. It's because you're working with them. I, I also got interviewed by so many different, you know, podcasts, news outlets, papers, magazines, everything, you name it, like around the area that I felt that my story was out there for a lot of people. So if I met somebody, it was always like, oh, wait, yeah, you're the you're the one that you're the 24 year old male. You're the young male that was diagnosed, you know, things like that. So my story is out there. So I, I just figured there's no point in hiding it, mm -hmm. you know, embrace it, you know, and and. and if somebody was like turned off by it or, or anything, well, clearly they're, they're not a match. And me and my wife, we uh, we met at the at the bar that we worked at. Um, she started. I was bartending. She started. You know, ser oh, as a server. I think she, if I remember correctly, she asked around to a couple of the other coworkers when she started. Asked about me. Um, I'm pretty sure she. They told her about you know my diagnosis because it was uh, about a year, year and a half almost two years after my diagnosis is when we first met. So I'm pretty sure she knew. And it was, uh, it was kind of funny because the first time that we ever really interacted, she ran down to the bar that I was at with her number written on a piece of paper and literally like threw it at me and like ran away. I take it, it, you know, is, you know, looking back on it that, yeah, that she must've known, but she didn't care either way. She wanted to, you know, get to know me as it was. Suzette, Brett, Janae and Sean also shared some advice on dating after breast cancer. 
Suzette says to forget the past and focus on being proactive. I think the the dating um, advice would be just to be proactive about it. Be proactive and, and look for people that like look at cancer as a life experience. And in, the, in, the, in cancer in general, like you got to take it day by day. You can't think about the past. You got to gouache any kind of um, feud you've had with people. It doesn't matter. Like the past doesn't matter. It's living for the present and knowing that the future isn't guaranteed and that you just have to make it day by day by day by day. And that um, and you have to have happiness as each day goes and you have to make yourself happy. And um, yeah, so, um, so, but being proactive is like the most active thing. Like, you know, again, like I latched onto that guy, you know, 55 and spine cancer, mama breast cancer. I thought that was perfect. And so, so in my realm, you know, you know, I got to go find, like, where else can I look for a 55-year-old with spine cancer? So I got to find out which building in MSK the spine cancer people go. <laughs> I got to go wait outside of those buildings. Like, you know, there's so many buildings. I got to wait. I got to go wait in front of another building in MSK for the for where all the male cancer patients go like where do they go you know it's not just about waiting outside the bathroom struggle is real and you have to keep actively trying you know um you know i thought with cancer that this would be like sort of a last chance at love you know but i got great boobs so i gotta keep it going i gotta keep it going and, you know i'm aroused i mean cancer made me more aroused you know um so i can't let this be a, a last chance at, at love and, and my body is amazing new boobs I'm telling you, I tell your audience, I mean, all my breast cancer sisters out there, you have to have some fathers, some brothers. I'm giving you a shout out. Okay. Men, men love boobs more than the bald hair and the cancer. That's another bit of advice. <laughs> men love boobs more than bald hair, bald heads and cancer. Men love boobs more than bald heads and cancer. Brett's advice was aimed at men who've been diagnosed, but his thoughts on being open could resonate with women as well. So, uh, you know, the many men that we have come across through the uh, coalition, there's only been, I want to say, five or six that we've met along the way that have been diagnosed around, you know, mm-hmm. around the like a 10 year age gap from when I was officially diagnosed and, you know, to where I am now. Um, yes, a few of them have asked, we, you know, we've discussed. I just told him, I was like, personally for me, and it's you know different for everybody else. I just I figured it's better to be an open book rather than try to hide something you know, just straight off the bat. And that's how you, you know, you can actually, I think you can grow and move on with somebody right off the bat rather than if you're holding back for a, mo- a week, a month or anything. And then it, you know, then it comes out and then they can be completely taken off guard and then they want to leave. And it's just kind of like you invest that time. I think if you're going to invest that time and you want to, then you just need to be straightforward. So yeah, for the, the few that have come across of, of around the same age, Yes, I, I have told them. That's, I mean, that's what I've told them. It's just, just be open with them. The main point of Sean's advice was to surround yourself with love. The advice I would give about dating with breast cancer is to be your genuine self and don't settle for anybody that doesn't make you laugh and don't don't date as a goal of having a relationship. The the best advice I can give you is to surround your pe- yourself with people you love and that love you and that support you. I had a relationship with all these women and my family and my life that supported me. And that gave me the things I needed the most. So dating was a distraction. I I feel like 
dating with the real intent to find that meaningful relationship might have been harmful for me. But dating as a distraction and a way to interact with people was probably my best strategy. Being diagnosed with breast cancer heavily affected how I looked at potential dates. Originally, I remember thinking, well, nobody's going to want me now. And I thought, well, okay, if nobody's going to want you, you might as well be yourself and be genuine with everything because it was freeing in some respects because I, I just didn't care about the the long-term relationship aspect of dating. I just wanted to have interaction with people, be social, and I was going to be myself because breast cancer did do a very good job of teaching me that life is short and you should enjoy it and it should be genuine. Janae's advice also focused on love, mainly on loving yourself. The tips that I would give to a breast cancer patient who is thinking about dating uh, one would be not to rush. Two, know that who you are now is different than who you were before and embrace that. It's okay. Um, you can make it a part of a new personality. You could, you could, this is an opportunity to, to paint a whole new picture, you know, and, and it can seem scary because, you know, you don't know what the outcome is, but don't even focus on the outcome. Be present, be mindful, uh, and, you know, love yourself first, adorn yourself, embrace who you are at the moment. That means if you have only one eyebrow or one eyelash or no hair currently and you want to go out to a happy hour, do it. Go ahead and do it. Put on your best shoes, your best dress, whatever, your best outfit, and just go ahead and do it. And, you know, it's not for anyone else but you. It's not for anyone else but you. When you decide you want to share, you know, um, I would say use use discernment. Think about, um, you know, think about the the comfortability you have with the person that you're sharing. Uh, some don't be upset if a person has a negative reaction because it could be possible that they might. Uh, and then if they do, that's a huge cherry on top. And you've got really good potential or really good friend right there. If someone's very able to, to understand your current situation. The breastcancer.org podcast would like to thank Suzette, Sean, Brett and Shanae for sharing their stories. We hope you enjoyed them. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.